It's a pleasure that this morning Julian will be uh, preaching for us, just sharing the word. But we've got a couple of uh, old te- uh, a couple of readings first. Um, we've got uh, Claire who's going to come, and Ewan. Now, Ewan, the tricky thing for you is that you're on the laptop and you're going to be reading at the same time. Um, so I think what will, if you can just set it up for me, then I'll work it, and then you can come. Claire, do you want to come first? Our first reading is from Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in the town called Nazareth. So he was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Julian, why don't we pray together as, uh, as Julian comes. Lord, your word brings life. It speaks into our situations. When your spirit and your word come together, Lord, then new things can be birthed. I pray for us this morning as we listen, that we'll listen really well. I pray that your spirit would take all that Julian's prepared and make it so personal that we can't avoid what you want to say into our lives. So come Holy Spirit, rest upon Julian, take his words, take his thoughts and would you bring them to life in us so that we will hear what you're saying to us as individuals. We ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, morning, just about, isn't it? Yeah. Hi, good to see you all. Great to be with you, and also welcome to those watching online. As we approach Christmas, it's been really helpful over these last few weeks to look at some of the titles that are given to Jesus And we've been concentrating on the first two chapters of Matthew's Gospel. And that's where, of course, we find the Christmas story. Uh, Trouble is, of course, we're very familiar with that. And we can sometimes overlook what's really important, maybe even lose the joy and the wonder of what 
it's all about. But more importantly, in looking at some of the names or titles that Jesus has given, it helps us to focus on, on what really matters and what that means for us, for our lives each day. And it gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. As we've been seeing, there's so much more behind a a name or a title. And in our passage that Ewan read for us from Matthew chapter 2, Matthew, the writer, draws our attention to another title of Jesus. Jesus, the Nazarene. And you might think this morning, so what? (laughs) What's the big deal? What's that got to do with me today? Uh, And what's the big deal about Nazareth? Well, if you were around in the first century Palestine, you may well be asking the same question. There isn't even one mention in the Old Testament about Nazareth. It seems to be a pretty insignificant sort of place, a a kind of nowhere town. Apparently it had a, a small population. There probably would have been a Roman garrison there. A small population probably made up of shepherds, Laborers, farmers, carpenters, Jesus' family. All in all, not a great deal to write home about. Inside of Israel, Nazareth didn't really have much recognition. Outside of Israel, probably nobody had ever even heard of it. It was mainly populated by Gentiles who would have incorporated Gentile rather than Jewish customs. And it was in an an area known as the Galilee of the Gentiles, probably scorned by the better Jews of Judea. To come from Nazareth wasn't exactly a plus point in those days. To give us an idea of what people thought about it, we can look into John's Gospel and see what somebody thought about Nazareth. And uh, this is where Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, um, he's met who he thinks is the Messiah. And he can't wait to tell his friend Nathaniel. And we pick up the story from John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and in whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response is absolutely brilliant. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? If you want to modernize that, you might say, You're kidding, aren't you? You what? Nazareth? The Messiah comes from nowhere town because he's born in that backwater obscurity where he spent his childhood and, and, and his early life. He grew up, as we heard last week, as a refugee in Egypt. He's known as the, the friend of the outcasts of society, the tax collectors, the sinners. And in his death, he dies the death of a criminal, crucified between thieves and murderers. Jesus of Nazareth. 
the Son of God, the one who created the whole universe and the one who sustains it by the word of his power, lived that kind of life. Hardly seems very good Messiah material, does it? And I think the fact that the gospel writers didn't airbrush that bit out of Jesus' life, that he was from this nowhere place, I I think to me indicates that it's true. That we can have confidence in the authenticity of the gospel accounts. Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth was one of us. Yes, he was the son of God. He was 100% divine, but he was also 100% human. And that's why this title, Jesus the Nazarene, is so important for us. Because it helps us to see a Jesus who is like us. He can totally relate to all that we go through in our lives. He knew what it was like to experience pain He knew what it was like to lose a parent. He knew what it was like to lose other people that he loved. He faced the same temptations that you and I do. He was let down and betrayed by those he trusted and were closest to him. He knew what it was like to be overlooked and misunderstood. He experienced overwhelming sorrow and pain. He was a refugee, an outcast, rejected by the very people he came to save. Very few of you will have heard of this guy, but back in the 80s, there was a singer-songwriter that was reasonably popular called Michael Card. And he lovingly put together some albums that depicted the life of Jesus in lyrical form. And typical of him is his song called The Nazarene. And some of it goes like this. The Nazarene had come to live the life of every man. And he felt the fascination of the stars. And as he wandered through this weary world, he wondered and he wept. For there were so few who'd listened to his call. He came, he saw He surrendered all, so that we might be born again. And the fact of his humanity was there for all to see. For he was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. He knows that life can be hard. And yet he is somehow able to transform our lives into something beautiful. It gives our lives hope and meaning. And it's the miracle of countless millions of people who have had their life transformed by Jesus, which I think is the most convincing proof in all the world that Jesus is real. That Jesus is a real person in history. And I want to tell you briefly about one person. You probably won't know him unless you've just read his book that's just been published called Guns to God. Well, this guy called Claude Jackson, he was born in Clapham. He was the, six years old when he held his first gun in his hands. He was the youngest of six siblings and he grew up in the shadow of domestic violence with a London-born mum and a Jamaican dad who was abusive and controlling. 
And he writes, terrible pain and darkness filled our lives on a daily basis. Claude hero-worshipped his older brother who left home when he was in his teens and became a violent drug dealer. And by the time that Claude was seven, his older brother was in prison. He lived in poverty. And at school, he says he became a spiteful and screwed-up bully and an outcast. At 12 years old, he joined a new school where he was one of only three black children out of 700 pupils. And there he experienced racism for the first time. He had a trial for Wimbledon FC football club, but it came to nothing. And he began drinking and doing drugs with his brother and his friends. His brother was arrested again and at 16, his dad died. Full of anger, Claude felt that somehow he wanted to pay back for all the hurt that has been handed out to him. And he became entrapped in a life of drug dealing, credit card fraud and greed. And finally he was arrested, but he prayed to God that God would get him out of going to jail. And he was released only to be sucked in to what he said was the buzz of drug dealing once again. But when he was 21, he was approached by the council to become a mentor for high-risk young offenders. And he really enjoyed it, even though he used it as a front for his illegal activities. But then he met this guy, this other guy, who was one of the colleagues called Pete. And Pete was a Christian. And Pete shared his faith. And then Pete told him about the Alpha Course and said, why don't you go on one of the sessions? So he dared to go. And he, and he, and he, he said... When at one of the sessions, my heart dared Jesus to come into my life and make a change. He left his old life of crime behind him. Now aged 40, he is trained to be a Church of England minister. He's walking those same streets of Clapham, not with uh, bags of drugs or a gun in his hand, but with a Bible. And he says he is deeply grateful for God's amazing grace, which took a London drug dealer all the way from deliveries to deliverance, from guns to God. And that's just one person who has had their life dramatically transformed by the person of Jesus, the Nazarene. Returning to our passage in Matthew, he indicates that Jesus being a Nazarene fulfills what the prophets said, that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. However, We have a problem here because nowhere in the Old Testament is that prophecy mentioned. So, did Matthew get it wrong? No, I don't think so. But rather he uses a very clever word play. He's combining two words, the Hebrew word for root and branch that we read in um, the Isaiah passage. And that word means nezer or Netzer, which sounds like Nazareth. So I, I think Matthew is alluding to this prophecy that Claire read for us in Isaiah chapter 11, that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Sometimes a branch or a shoot will grow up from a stump where the old one has died. You, you, you can see it, can't you? You go through a forest walk or something. You see these trees that have been cut down. And sometimes there's a little branch or shoot growing up 
Um, And these are Matthew's thoughts here. In referring to the nation of Israel, which has been cut down like a tree, and yet Jesus, the root of Jesse, comes to bring new life. Just thinking about that word Nazar and Nazareth and things like that. It's interesting in the Middle East now, Christians are referred to as Nazara or Nazarenes. In northern Iraq, Christian homes and businesses were targeted by ISIS and they painted a letter N on their doors. And they were then either forced to leave the area, convert to Islam, or be killed. In some parts of our world, being a follower of the Nazarene costs everything. Please pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing extreme persecution just because they follow the one called the Nazarene today. And following Jesus is not about having all our problems sorted and having a nice, comfy life. Following Jesus costs us everything. He said, come, follow me, lay down your life, take up your cross, follow me. In our reading from Isaiah, we read about a shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Jesus was in that line. And this is the idea about the Advent tradition of the Jesse tree. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you've got children at school who are doing that as part of their Advent celebrations. Maybe you've even got one at home. But this tradition started in medieval times, and it's a way of depicting the story from the Bible, of the Bible from creation to Christmas story. It's a kind of Advent calendar. And the branch or shoot is a sign of new life, and Jesus, as a descendant of King David, is signified on the Jesse tree as a sign of new life, a sign of hope. The branch of the Lord is a metaphor for the Messiah. And a shoot growing up from a stump, it's hardly noticeable. It's not significant. It's a bit like Nazareth, an inconsequential place that's despised. And yet out of this broken stump comes a branch of hope. And not just for the people of Israel, but for the Gentiles, for all people, for all nations. Isaiah goes on to say in chapter 11 and verse 10 that the that the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. Jesus is the one who carries the hope of all the nations. And Matthew writes later in in his gospel, in his name, the nations will put their hope. The early followers of Jesus were probably expecting a, a warrior messiah one who would kick the Romans out of Palestine and free the Jewish people from their oppressors. But the rule of the Messiah wasn't to be marked by warfare or violence or uprising. No, he would want to come and bring deliverance from something much, much bigger. In verse 2 of our reading of Isaiah, we read that the spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And early on in Jesus' ministry, he declared, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And where was it that Jesus gave that message? Nazareth. Even though God's people of Israel had been cut down like a tree, it would rise up again. It might just look like a stump and a little root growing out of it, but that means there is hope. There is always hope. There are no lost causes with God. There is hope for our world. There is hope for our nation. There is hope for ourselves. And right now, we could do with a bit of that hope. Jesus didn't just come into the world to bring hope. He is hope. He invites us to come to him. You don't, we don't come to a religion or a church. We come to him. It's in the person of Jesus Christ that you will find real hope, real satisfaction. He's the one that says to the weary, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. You come to the real person of Jesus who loves you and knows all about you. And understands you. And he gives rest to your souls. He's the one that says to the broken. I've come and I've come to give you life. And life in its fullness. To the thirsty. He says come to me and, and drink. If you're thirsting and longing. Wondering what on earth in this life is all about. Then come to him. He offers the living water of his love and his presence and his forgiveness and his mercy to satisfy your deepest longings and your deepest desires. He's the one that says to the guilty, come to me and you'll find real freedom. He says, if the sun sets you free, then you're really free. You're free indeed. And Jesus has come to release those who are captive. And if there are things that you know that you long to be free of, and you just simply come. You come to him and know real freedom. Heartache and brokenness never seem far away, do they? But he is the one who gives our lives meaning despite the darkness that we, can, that we go through and that he is with us in the darkness. We have hope. We have hope for the present. That we are not alone. That we are loved. And our lives on earth have meaning and purpose. We have hope for the future. That the God who made all things will one day put everything right. And we will be with him forever. And not only will we be with him, we will be like him. And all the suffering and the pain and the heartache will be no more because he's going to wipe away every tear. And he's because he's conquered death and fear. And we have a future and a hope. So we have a hope for the present. We have a hope for the future. And we have a hope for our past. All that stuff that we've done. All those things that we've been ashamed of. All the guilt and the shame can be wiped away because Jesus who was perfect died in our place. And if you've got questions about Jesus and about the whole faith thing, why not do what Ian says and come on the Alpha course? 
this new year. Make it a, I'm going I'm to find out more. Come on the Alpha's course. Come to the information desk. Come and speak to Ian or somebody. Be like Claude Jackson, who went on that Alpha course and was transformed by the person of Jesus, the Nazarene. If you want prayer, there are people in the side chapel here who are there after the service who will pray with you. Please, if you want prayer, they will listen and pray with you. And I pray this Christmas that you will come to know him who is peace. Jesus the Nazarene who knows you and loves you so much. I pray that you will come to know him who is joy. And I pray that you will come to know him who is hope. And that you will find all the joy and peace this year as you trust your life to God and you say, yes, I am going to follow you. I'm going to lay down my life and follow you. May the God of peace fill you with all joy and peace as you trust your life to him. Amen.